Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with the latest WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, getting over is back once again and we are here to break down everything that happened this week across SmackDown and Raw in the world of WWE. And this week in particular, the WWE news went far beyond the television shows. We had a major press conference in Las Vegas on Saturday afternoon. Some big news announced over the course of the weekend and something a little mysterious going on as well. The Silver King is here. Vintage Chris Vanini will be joining us momentarily. We're going to break it all down for you on today's extended show. But to move things along quickly here, let me remind you first that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. It's all about Defy. So please, folks. Stop being marks for yourselves and... Go back to being marks for the Silver King for Vintage. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop us those five-star ratings on Apple. Take a moment, 30, 60 seconds. Also leave a written review. Let everyone know how much you love the show, why you listen, and tell them why they should subscribe. Those written reviews help us so much. And every time we get a new five-star written review, we read it live here on the air. Also, please do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting overcast not only do we tweet the shows as soon as they go live and and we tweet our thoughts during the four major wrestling programs every single week we do live shows for you on twitter spaces and the silver king's been experimenting with some let's call it additional content right some captions some photos some graphics we're putting new stuff on there so if you don't follow us or you never have be sure to follow us at getting overcast and if you did and you're like well all they do is talk about wrestling they don't do anything fun give us a follow again we're trying to do some extra stuff there at getting overcast on Twitter. Chris, normally we would kick off the show. We'd banter about something fun. We'd argue between soda and pop or the color of Gatorade or whatever the case might be. This is one of the most jam-packed shows we have ever had from a content standpoint. Uh, So off the top, how are you? Is everything going well? And maybe give me an overview of your viewership this past week in WWE. Everything is good kind of in the flow now of having football and wrestling together. You same. Yep. Yeah. I, I SmackDown is not, I'm not usually watching SmackDown live, especially during the season. Cause Friday is kind of like my one day. It's off. the one day. I know. Yeah. And, and so I, I typically catch it up on, on Sunday or right before Monday. And honestly, watching the two shows together, I have found makes kind of my note process and makes the stories a little bit more clear. Mm-hmm. So it was, I think a solid, uh, a, a solid weekend of, of wrestling as we're kind of in, in this in-between, you know, pay-per-view type of situation. Yeah, it is a odd period, right? And WWE with Monday Night Football really picking up and going two shows head-to-head with Raw. They'll be lucky if they get out on Monday night without their lowest rating ever, by the way. Um, that is WWE I'm talking about. But NFL going full speed. College football is going crazy to start the year. Like you, Friday is my only real day off in any given week. And that includes the weekends, by the way, it's, it's how it is for four or five months out of the year. That's part of the job. It's part of why I love it. Um, but it also creates an issue, right. In terms of our time, but carving out the time to like segment my mind and do this show. It's entertaining. The fact that WWE is operating at a higher level from a creative standpoint than it has in a really long time. It's not like 
the doldrums of watching where you're like watching it and you're like, oh, mm-hmm. we're taking notes and we got to do a show this week and I'm tired. I'm amped up. I'm excited to do this show because so much happened across SmackDown and Raw, those five hours of television that I truly enjoyed. And even if I didn't love it, if I had my normal nitpicks and criticisms of which you will hear during today's show, the overall attitude I had coming out of both programs was, man, I don't regret watching that. Like, I don't regret watching those three hours. I don't regret watching those two hours. That was not the case uh, for WWE for, you know, the majority of the history of this podcast, either one or the other, Raw or SmackDown would be watchable to good to great, possibly. And the other one would be a slog. And those flipped back and forth at different times, depending on who was in charge of creative, which talents were on each shows, the storyline, how the things were going with the bloodline. But now, even without Roman Reigns there certain weeks, it, that doesn't change my thoughts on the title, but even without him there certain weeks, there is so much to chew on, so much to digest yes. with the product. You feel valued as a customer for giving them your five hours a week. Everything feels like it has a purpose. You may not, we may not like it. We may not like the direction. We may think they're Correct. missing on some things, but it doesn't feel like aimless. It, does, it doesn't feel like it's due to a lack of effort. You're right. And, and, and that is, that is the biggest thing. It doesn't feel aimless. It doesn't feel like it's being changed week to week. It yes. feels like there is a purposeful path that go, that is going, gone down. I was going to say going, that is gone down in individual storylines and shows as a whole. And that as a viewer is really the number one thing you can ask for from a professional wrestling product, especially one that is demanding two different chunks, a three hour chunk and a two hour chunk of your time. And that's not to mention NXT, all the changes coming to that brand that I discussed on last Thursday's show. Be sure to go back and listen to that. If you have not, trust me, if you have been out of NXT, I think I've been telling you for a couple months, you need to get back into it. Well, now, especially you need to get back into it. So go back, listen to that on Thursday show. Chris, as I said at the intro here, we have a jam-packed show from a topic standpoint. We're not wasting another second. We are sliding into the main event. And when I said we had an extended show, we also have an extended main event because any of you who follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast know the Silver King promised a special topic this week in our main event section, and that was an overarching look at the bloodline. We will be getting to that momentarily. First, we need to talk about what happened regarding some of those key players in that faction across SmackDown on Friday night into a press conference that was held on Saturday in Las Vegas. And all of this was to set up Roman Reigns versus Logan Paul in the main event of Crown Jewel for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. So this all started with Reigns being a guest on Logan's podcast. The interview was totally uneventful. After it ended, Logan said he thought he could beat Roman. That led to Reigns getting pissy on Twitter and Triple H inviting Paul to SmackDown to address the situation. Logan, he came out on SmackDown. He got heavy boos and what chance. He actually handled them like a veteran. I thought he did a really good job. He said a press conference was set for Saturday in Las Vegas. He invited the Bloodline and Roman Reigns there to join them. Paul Heyman interrupted him. And he entered with the bloodline, including Sami Zayn. He put over Logan for going the distance with Floyd Mayweather. And WWE keeps mentioning this. So let me quickly say, it was an exhibition bout that Floyd Mayweather was barely trying in. I watched the entire thing, okay? (laughs) And yes, and on top of that, Logan Paul has a significant size and reach advantage. And I'm I'm a boxing fan, so it's okay for them to like claim that. It's like kind of like claiming, you know, 
Floyd Mayweather and the Big Show was a real thing. It wasn't real, but congratulations. He did get to box Floyd Mayweather. That on its own was impressive. Uh, he also said Anderson Silva is going to knock out his brother, Jake Paul. Heyman told him to be smart and pick a fight with someone else. Logan asked why they're afraid of a press conference. He said Reigns would probably smash him, but all it takes is one lucky shot for him to get over. Heyman then told Solo Sokoa to handle Logan. Instead, Sammy stepped up, said Reigns should have let him deal with it and not Heyman. Zayn then took a punch from Logan before the bloodline swarmed the ring and Paul fled. So then we moved to Saturday, the press conference. Triple H presided over it in Las Vegas. Uh, it featured the entire bloodline, including Sammy, which is it's so cool that he's now with them. And obviously Paul was there as well. He announced Roman Logan for the undisputed WWE Universal Championship. Triple H put Paul over for his work ethic and his performances inside the ring. The storyline is basically Reigns is dominant, but all Paul needs to do is luck into a single knockout shot to win the titles. Reigns was incredible on the mic here. I tweeted a clip of it. Go to our Twitter account at Getting Overcast and listen to that. It was great. I'm not going to play it here. He said Paul impressed him enough to be the third match on any card he was on, which is obviously a pot shot. Logan then called Roman one of the best, as opposed to, of course, the best, which was another pot shot going back in that direction. Logan then had an awful line. He said, Roman is the head of the table, but he is the table. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, all your sports teams, they're all failures. Just not good. Uh, Heyman tore Logan apart. Reigns said he took the match because he's a good tribal chief. He's the flag bearer of WWE. So if WWE wants him to smash Paul, then that's exactly what he'll do. Logan got in Heyman's face. Reigns took exception to that. So he shoved him. Triple H got between them like Dana White and the entire thing kind of fizzled out from there. It's very funny, by the way, that Dana White is trying to be or has tried to be for his entire life, Vince McMahon. And Triple H is now in this moment, at least trying to be Dana White. Just kind of mm-hmm. goes full circle. I thought that was funny. Uh, look, yep. Chris, on the surface here, right? With the booking, it's easy to say. The easy way out is to say, this is dog shit. And it's not worth the energy to explain, yeah, why Roman Reigns, you know, taking a challenge from Logan Paul and beyond that, Logan Paul getting a title shot is ridiculous, especially given WWE has spent the last two months setting up a handful of people to be new contenders for Reigns. It's also a heel versus heel match, except. Logan wants to be a face, but fans want to cheer for Reigns. The booking bothers me, though, less than these two nitpicks. One, this being why they brought Heyman back. Not as a surprise or something to aid a key storyline, but for Logan Paul, because they maybe had a press conference, Heyman isn't needed for this at all. Two, Reigns not showing up on SmackDown Friday in front of a crowd of paying fans in Anaheim, but being able to go to Las Vegas on Saturday, which is four hours away. That just bothered me. If you can be at one, why aren't you at the other? As a fan, if I went to the show on Friday, I'm pissed off I didn't get Reigns, and they saved him for how, like 300 people or whatever the crowd was in Las Vegas. Now, all of that said, from an entertainment standpoint, we'll probably end up getting a match that exceeds all of our expectations, despite it being predictable. Roman will dominate, Logan will land a punch for a near fall, and then Reigns will eventually retain the title. We know Logan can go. The match has already generated headlines. It's going to do good business for WWE. Plus, if there was any place to do this, putting it at Blood Money in the Sand, a glorified house show most of the time, at least when it's not Elimination Chamber, it is the best case scenario. So am I angry about this? No, I'm not completely. I'm not. Analytically, 
Logan has proven himself, so we know it won't be a shit fest in the ring. So no, I'm not angry at the booking of it, but I obviously don't love it. Like two main reasons. First, WWE has been running so hot creatively and the main event scene is so barren because there's only one champion who's never there that it's frustrating when he does show up, he's not fighting someone who is on TV weekly to build a feud. And then secondly, this is booking purely for WWE exposure and the blood money contract. There was a report that the Prince uh, likes Logan Paul. So that's why specifically they're doing this there, which can you even imagine that, right? Um, And yeah, having Logan over there, it increases the exposure for both. It helps Saudi Arabia with the breadth of their sports washing that they're trying to do. They're going to get even more attention on their show, quote unquote, positively, because it's going to make headlines because Logan Paul is there. When it comes to wrestling, business matters. We talk about it all the time, but the fans matter more. And this is counter to what Triple H has been doing the last two months. So am I mad or angry? No, I completely understand it intelligently from a business standpoint. But is it frustrating? It is frustrating. The one thing I would take exception to there is when you said the fans matter more. That's not the case with Crown Jewel. That That's not what Crown Jewel it's is not. about. It's not about ticket sales. It's not Correct. about ratings. It's simply about making Saudi Arabia look good. We call it blood money in the sand for a reason. We don't like that this is a thing that happens. But it, all that said, I don't mind the idea of doing this gimmicky title match on that specific show for that reason. You know, if we were getting Drew McIntyre versus Roman Reigns at Crown Jewel, you know, instead of Clash of the Castle or something, like that's the kind of thing that would have really pissed me off. If that's, you the other hand, that's the other side of the coin to the entire thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I'm the, sorry. The, the, the celebrity title match, I'm I'm okay with it for a Saudi Arabia show that none of us want to happen. Logan Paul continues to be very, very, very good at this. Like he, he is. We've yeah. seen him in the ring. He is legitimately one of the top mic people in the company now. Like he just he he handles things well. He 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 projects himself. He handles booze reactions. Like he totally gets this. Like and and that's why they signed him to a, 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 that's part of the reason they signed him to a deal to do more of these is because he's very good at it. And he likes and, it. Yeah. And he knows how to play the game. I listened to that podcast again. There was nothing really of interest in it, but he did a very good job of like blurring the line between what's real and what's not real by saying like, yeah, I could beat Roman Reigns in a match. Like we know it's scripted, but like he still played that. So like it, it, it worked. So overall I'm fine with it. It's weird for, it's weird for this to be happening for a show that is two pay-per-views away, right? Extreme rules is first. So, but that just goes to the larger issue we've had with the Roman Reigns thing, which is he's barely on television. Mm-hmm. Nothing matters. He he doesn't have any real challengers anymore because he's literally beaten everybody. So, like, it makes sense, ultimately, um, in terms of what they did. Well, that's the thing. It's we don't want the match, but we don't want the show. And if they put a real match on the show, we might be angry that a real match was on the show, that like Kevin Owens getting his rematch, let's say, or Seth Rollins was being wasted there. So it's like damned. It's kind of like damned if you do, damned if you don't. The real solution is not doing the show at all, <laughs> but obviously that's not the case. So you're you're kind of right where it's like, if you're going to have the match and you're going to have this show, you might as well just throw them together. 
Mm-hmm. And, and that's kind of what we got here. Now, there is an outstanding question to the entire thing. And I hate to bring it up, but that question is, what if? What if this entire thing goes south and Triple H loses his mind and actually books Logan to win? Because on one hand, if Logan is going to legitimately wrestle long term and what he has been saying when he signed the long term deal with WWE, when he's doing these press conferences, he said, I found my thing. This is what I was meant to do. He keeps saying that. Now, he's clearly not a weekly member of WWE television. And you would think if he was meant to do it, he would be there a lot more frequently than he is stopping in for a storyline for one month, uh, two times a year, or maybe three times a year. So, you know, I don't think, obviously, that is what's going to happen. But if Triple H books this guy to win, you have to kind of note that there would be no better way to establish a massive name in pop culture who is going to be a wrestler long term than to have him be the one to take the undisputed WWE Universal Championship off Roman Reigns. Now, again, what are the chances of this? Hopefully slim to none with slim. It's zero. Slim leaving the building. Triple H would be flushing all of the goodwill he has earned from WWE fans over the last two months, right down the toilet. It'd be booked it that way. The only way it would work is, like I said, if he was on TV every single week like Ronda Rousey. But even then, the booking to me here, Chris, to, for them to do that, it would almost be unimaginable. It's not happening. Look, Logan Paul is not winning the championship at Crown Jewel. However, I do think he could be a future world champion. You know, if he does continue to do this, and again, he's very good at this. Him him in the ring, like, it totally worked. I could see it happening. He's a big guy. Like, I could see it happening at some point. It's not happening at Crown Jewel against Roman Reigns. He is not going to be the guy to end this this whole thing. I, I'm, I'm going to stake my reputation on that. <laughs> We've had no, I mean, I'm not, I, I just ha- we have to we have to cover it. We have to we do. I, but there, we have to talk about what if it sometimes. happens. That's all. Yeah, I, I remember. I think it was you thought Goldberg might take the title off of Drew McIntyre one time. You've been there, we've had a couple of these world title doomsday matches scenarios. Where you've, where you've doomsday had scenario. we've had to talk about the doomsday scenario. I, I just I just want to be on the record. Well, Chris, let's not let's not forget. Yeah. I mean, doomsday scenarios existed. Like Goldberg, yes. what did he do? He beat he beat Bray the Wyatt for the title. They mm-hmm. he also. Took the title off Kevin Owens when Kevin Owens was supposed to defend it against Chris Jericho at WrestleMania. Like, I know those are both Goldberg related specifically, um, but I mean, this shit happens, right? So, like, I know it's Triple H and we're, we're giving him a huge benefit of the doubt every week, right? And he's he's paid it off through a couple months. We'll, we're still probably another month away, maybe even two months away from doing a deep dive on his booking to this point and, and kind of going through that like we do when there's a new person on commentary or a change to NXT or any major change in the company. We take a few months, we let it breathe before we give our kind of kind of final judgment on the entire thing. But like, again, in recent WWE history, you can't say that this isn't out of the realm of possibility. In the most recent WWE history, the last two months, you would say it is. So just something that had to be addressed. That's all. Um, sure. I also kind of, in looking at how this was booked, This may be looked back on as a missed opportunity because Triple H could have potentially gotten creative in booking this match. It's already odd for Logan to be able to get a title shot. 
they could have just easily thrown something in there where Roman Reigns said, dude, you don't deserve a title shot, let alone to the undisputed title shot to go after both belts. Pick one if you want. I'll defend it against you. And then that could set up a scenario where Austin Theory or perhaps Kevin Owens, if he was to win the briefcase off him, could or even Johnny Gargano, could run down and cash in the title, the uh, briefcase during the match, pin Logan. So Roman doesn't get hurt. Logan getting pinned is meaningless. And now the titles are split and there's one on each brand. We don't know what the future of the undisputed title looks like. We don't know if they're ever going to be split, if they're going to maintain the undisputed title, if they're going to uh, keep that and make it one title and then introduce a new championship for the other brand. We don't know what's coming in that regard. But if WWE does struggle to figure out a way to separate the titles, like I said, this may we may look back on this as a missed opportunity where they could have done it and it would have made sense in the storyline. I don't disagree, but we've talked plenty about splitting the titles. How, if ever, we don't know. I'll just go back to what I said where I'm, I w- I'm fine with Crown Jewel not being a consequential show. You know, that that's what it was the first few times they did it. The more recent times, you know, they had what Brock Roman, they, they have made it into a bigger show and it was a good show. But I, I'm fine with not putting too much in, <laughs> into Crown Jewel on a given show. Well, don't forget, dude, last year, Crown Jewel was, was maybe the pay-per-view of the year. Yep. I'm just saying, like, like we poo-poo these shows and, and there's I don't think there's been anyone more vocal about my distaste for them. Right. Then, then, then perhaps me or obviously no one would be more vocal about my distaste than myself, but distaste in general for the shows than myself. I've been talking about it for years now, but let's not forget a couple of things. Number one, last year's crown jewel, like I just said, was maybe the WWE pay-per-view of the year for 2021 and elimination chamber in February. It wasn't great, but it, it was very good show and it was all within storyline for the company. So mm-hmm. while the first, however many four, let's, I forgot the number three or four were horrendous. The last two have actually been really good shows from an in-ring work rate standpoint, storylines, mm-hmm. progressing, things like that. We can't just dismiss them as unimportant, when, even though we may want to, is what I'm trying to yep. say. Yep, I agree. So, All right, uh, let's wrap up with what happened um, on SmackDown regarding the bloodline. So we had Sami Zayn against Ricochet. This match immediately followed the Logan Paul segment that opened SmackDown. Heyman accidentally spilled Michael Cole's soda on him, which Cole called out. So Heyman literally picks up the can. He pours the rest on Cole. I thought that was hysterical. Uh, Cole also gave a shout out to PWG during mm-hmm. the match, which was really cool. Now, he said it because Ricochet and Sami Zayn wrestled there, except Sami Zayn never wrestled there. There was a guy who maybe had the same body type, El Generico, <laughs> who, who wrestled there. Um, mm-hmm. But it wasn't Sami Zayn. So I don't really know what Michael Cole was talking about. Uh, anyway, uh, Jimmy Uso distracted Rick as he climbed the ropes. Sammy hit the blue thunderbomb. Logan distracted the referee to prevent a timely count. Ricochet came back with a great Hurricanrana cover for a 2.8. Jay then distracted, but Rick caught him with a springboard dropkick. Zayn then caught Rick with a half and half suplex, but Jay's third distraction led to another delayed count. That one really pissed off Sammy because it went the opposite way. So Sammy jumps out of the ring. He starts arguing with Jay face to face at ringside. Suddenly they get separated. Ricochet hits a huge tope cannonball. Then he puts him back inside Sammy, hits the shooting star press and gets the win. Logan raises his arm. The bloodline comes in the ring to threaten them. Madcap Moss runs down with a chair to even the sides. And this whole thing, it was just an extended, well-wrestled match. It was a bit overbooked in the finish, 
but it was overbooked for specific storyline reasons. Ricochet going over was key. His stock continues to rise. I don't think he's lost since Triple H took over or since he lost the Gunther match. So Ricochet is on an undefeated streak or a winning streak, I should say. And that to me is a big positive. One other comment from commentary that stuck out. Uh, Corey Graves said that Logan Paul shouldn't be ringside because he's not related to Ricochet. <laughs> I thought that was kind of funny. Oh, that is funny. Because yeah. everybody else, because he wasn't part of the bloodline. Well, I just, that was funny. Well, technically, um, Sammy's not related to anyone in the bloodline. Right, either. right. Yeah. That's that's the joke, yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, this was fun match. Uh, again, Ricochet's kind of not really doing anything specific, but they're putting him in spots to let him highlight what he can do and letting him show off. And I think it's helping him. He's yeah. getting more cheers, it seems like. And uh, ultimately, it was, it was a bit overbooked, but it made sense. The show opening match, a lot of fun. I, I don't know if we're doing good, bad, or ugly here. No, but I, no, I, this is the main event. No, that's I, it. I, I definitely enjoyed it. Cool. Uh, There's also a North American Championship match on the show. And you may be saying, hey, Silver King, what? North American Championship? Well, number one, you don't watch NXT. And number two, you don't know that Solo Sokoa won the North American Championship last Tuesday on NXT. Again, something we discussed extensively on Thursday's show. So make sure you go back and listen to it. Uh, Jay tried to get... Oh, I probably don't think I said who he defended it against, did I? A North American Championship match, Solo Sokoa defending against Madcap Moss. So Jay tried to get Solo hype in gorilla position, but Solo told Jay, you're off your game today. And then to Jay's surprise, Solo invited Sammy with him to the ring. So Zane then smirked at Jay and they went to the ring. Cole narrated highlights of Sokoa winning the North American Championship on NXT. When Solo entered, he had a really cool custom nameplate that WWE did for him on the screen. Uh, Solo hit his dad's hip attack. Fans actually chanted Uso for him. Uh, but Moss countered another attempt with a chop block and two corner shoulder tackles. Moss had a really cool lifted driving clothesline, uh, but Sokoa countered another shoulder tackle into a Samoan drop. Moss caught Solo flying for a fallaway slam before Zane saved Sokoa. Moss chased Sammy until Sokoa hit him with a super kick and a falling Uranagi to retain the title. Match was fine. Totally good. It was two big meaty men slapping meat. That's for sure. Excuse me, Biggie, bumping meat. Uh, but it was also a little bit of a slow match. I didn't blame the fans so much for cheering Solo, but it's unfortunate that it came at the expense of Moss, who he has been over like Rover for months, to our surprise. He got a very limited reaction in this match. As we have said dozens of times, Moss, more than perhaps anyone left in WWE, badly needs a repackage because he has a legitimate future in this company. The least sensible thing so far in the Triple H era is why this guy is still called Madcap and while he's still coming out in generic black trunks. It just doesn't make any sense. I do love the way that Sammy has kind of wormed his way into Solo's good graces. After all, he is the impressionable younger brother. It's cool that they have some sort of alliance here, and I just loved the interactions with them between them the entire match. To, to the point about the fan reactions... That is, it's happening because the blood, the bloodline is cool. Yeah, they are. Like, and we've said it, people put the ones up They're They're not, they're not, I mean, they get booed at certain times. If you're going up against a ricochet who can do a lot of flippy stuff and get the crowd excited, it's easier to get the crowd on your side against the bloodline. When you're mad cat Moss and you're just generic kind of dude right now, the bloodline's more interesting and people will lean that way on, on that type of one. So I, I think that is uh, part of it. I do like Madcap. Getting this spot, 
He's he's done some run-ins at times to help out and save people and gotten decent reactions doing that. But yeah, he like I said, if he if you don't have the kind of the repertoire of Ricochet, what's his thing? What's Madcap's thing? We we don't really have that. Yeah, that's the problem. Like the guy can go in the ring. Clearly, the fans like him. He got over by going up against Baron Corbin and fighting alongside Drew McIntyre. And now it's just that's all over and is kind of just back to being the generic guy with a really, really bad, ill-fitting name. And, that, and that's just really unfortunate. Uh, now, I explained in depth on last week's NXT show. I keep telling you guys to listen to this Thursday episode. Uh, why putting the North American Championship on Solo Sokoa was such a genius move by Triple H and Shawn Michaels. Please go listen to it if you skipped it because I go in depth on it. The shorthand version is that it gave another USA title without being concerned about Gunther or Bobby Lashley potentially dropping their championships. And it directly connected NXT, not only with the main roster, but with the A-show, the A-faction, and the top star in the entire world. What we saw on Friday was the early fruits of that decision. NXT was promoted multiple times during the show. We saw footage of it. The title was made a big deal and every single person involved benefited from it. I just think it was such a really, really strong booking. I am the game, JR. There is nobody that eats, sleeps, or breathes this business more than me. I love playing that sound drop just because it's the this business. Because Triple H always in this business. You know, it's, it's just so great. So I got both in one. I love that drop. Uh, agree. I, as someone who didn't doesn't regularly watch NXT, um, it's nice to see the connection. It makes it, it it creates a connection, something for me to check out if I see something. Oh, that's you know, it's it's, it's um, I, I like that crossover. It, it's appealing enough without being like you have to watch to understand. So it's right. a good balance. It gives you enough of like a, a purpose, a, a, a reason to go and check it out. Will yes. you watch it? That you know depends on every individual, but it gives you enough of a reason to say, oh, that's kind of curious that they're doing this. Maybe that's a good show. Maybe I should give it some time also. Um, so we have a lot to talk about regarding the bloodline. I did want to discuss the long-term impact of this faction. Before we get to that briefly, did you happen to see that the one's gesture that the bloodline uses that you mentioned earlier, sticking one finger in the air, holding it over your head, did you happen to see that was in the news over the weekend for completely unrelated reasons to WWE? I saw it and I had that exact same thought. Yeah. So uh, if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, you can kind of Google it. Uh, maybe Google like one finger in the air or something like that. And it'll probably give you the it's answer. It's a QAnon thing. It's yeah. It's uh, We try not to get into politics and stuff here on the show. Um, so you can go look at it. But something happened at an, an event. And let me just say that there's a non-zero chance that WWE has them stop doing the gesture. If I, if what, what happened over the weekend, if that starts becoming a trend and like something that catches on, it would be a horrendous look, even if the bloodline came up with it first, which they did. I mean, I'm not saying they're the first ones to ever do that, but even if they're the first people who popularized it mainstream, this will quickly overtake that if that's the case. So don't be surprised if that goes away. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, I, I had that thought too. Look, you know, Linda McMahon was in the Trump administration. Trump's a WWE Hall of Famer. They they completely stayed away from any politics stuff when he was president. Right. Despite if all this, those connections. Right. If this becomes a bigger thing, I would agree. I wouldn't be surprised and immediately wondered when I saw it if it gets to a point where WWE moves away from the put up the one. So we'll see. All right. Now, Chris, before we get into the rest of the main event and our next segment, 
like I teased on the show and, and on Twitter as well, I want to spend a little more time on the bloodline because I got to thinking about this on Sunday. You know, this podcast has basically existed for the entirety of this overarching storyline, which makes it really one of the longest in WWE history. There have been highs and lows, peaks and valleys, but every single time a new element gets added or a new high is reached, the lows in the storyline seem to matter less. No storyline that lasts more than two years is going to be perfect, especially because plans do change, did change, and sometimes it's legitimate. Other times, of course, it was at the whims of Vince McMahon. But I do think it's become time that we and others kind of start talking about this as one of the best long-term storylines WWE has created since the Attitude Era. Because just think about all the directions this has gone. It started with Reigns making that shocking return to take the Universal title in dominant fashion over Braun Strowman and Bray Wyatt with Paul Heyman by his side. It moved into the gaslighting of Jay, their extended feud, main event Jay Uso. Jimmy returned. Jay had to get him hip to what the Tribal Chief demanded. There was the whole Tribal Chief element with the family coming out. I skipped over that. Uh, they helped Reigns retain the title in some matches and other matches. Reigns simply dominated like he did over Edge and Daniel Bryan, Cesaro, guys like that. Uh, we moved to the undisputed storyline and Reigns overcoming his greatest rival once and for all in Brock Lesnar. Sami Zayn jumped in trying to kind of ride their coattails. It's revitalized his career completely only to, you would think he's, you know, someone on the outskirts that they're just going to kick the shit out of at some point. Instead, he gets accepted by Reigns and now he's officially an honorary oos. Jay has been distrustful and annoyed because he's the original member of the bloodline, the guy who got brainwashed from the start. Now Solo, the younger brother, has joined, and Sammy may be fracturing the bloodline from within because Jimmy and Solo like him. Jay hates him. Reigns probably sees him as a court jester to the entire thing. There have been so many layers to this story, so many twists and turns, despite Reigns retaining the title the entire time, that I'm just starting to see this in an entirely different light. Let me be clear. I'm not suggesting all of this was planned from the start. Obviously, that's not the case. The beginning through Jay joining and probably Jimmy returning, sure, I believe all of that was planned. We know the undisputed title reign was not part of the plan, but that's part of what differentiates this from other stories. It's like a living organism. It began one way, shifted into something else entirely. And now we have someone in Triple H kind of at the helm leading the storyline who actively cares about looking ahead and long-term storytelling. That makes it extremely unique. Think about how many different directions this thing can go. There's the easy and obvious legendary wrestling family storyline, the Rhodes against the Inouye family, uh, Cody honoring his father by winning the WWE title, taking down Roman, ending this epic title reign. There's a clear and obvious Seth Rollins storyline. Randy Orton does have a storyline with his injury and the record title chase. Kevin Owens has his long-term issues. Drew McIntyre has a case for another shot. Sami Zayn, I doubt he will be a challenger, but he could factor in as a challenger. If the bloodline turns on Sami, he and KO could finally team up and end the Usos tag team title reign. Jay could be the odd man out due to Sami. Solo could side with Sami. Both of them could leave. It's really tough when watching a product twice a week for five hours across 52 weeks every year, plus premium live events to see the forest from the trees, because there's never a break. You and I, we, we and, and other people who do this and everyone who watches, we get so overwhelmed with the week-to-week -week details that I wanted to take this opportunity to kind of like take a step back 
and look at the bigger picture of the storyline. This will be remembered. The forced crying and nitpicking that we do over an interference finish here or a rematch booking there will be forgotten. I would say almost all of those criticisms, with the exception of like God interfering and costing the demon the title against Roman Reigns, (laughs) that will be remembered forever. But I would say almost every other one will eventually be forgotten when this finally ends and we look back on it. This extended bloodline story has a legitimate chance to go down as one of, I'm not saying the, but one of WWE's best long-term storylines ever. And I'm not sure we and enough other people outside of this show recognize that. That's why I wanted to take the time here, go over the most recent developments and kind of put everything in perspective. I recognize it because to me, this Roman Reigns has been one of my favorite wrestling characters of all time. I mean, we go back to the first year of this podcast. They were spending half of an episode of SmackDown on, just on Roman Reigns when they were in the Thunderdome because they had to. And like it, it worked and there were such deep character developments in that era that we just never really got in wrestling because it was something that always played to a crowd. And so when they eventually got back to crowds, they had to tweak it a little bit. You know, you, you, you do a little bit, things a little bit differently. But what you said there, the fact that the storyline is not just Roman Reigns has been the champion for two years. LOL, Roman wins. It's the same stuff. Like, no, there has been so much going on in the in the bloodline, around the bloodline, on tag team titles, uh world champion matches like there's a lot going on and i've enjoyed it so much that's always that that's what's been my biggest complaint is that i just i want more of it i want roman reigns on my show every week because this is really good (laughs) and that's ultimately what it comes down to i think overall when you look at the bloodline as a whole as a story yeah it, it, it is kind it is the defining story of this era you know there was yeah. the austin there was the austin run of 1998 there's the triple h run of of 2000 Re- uh, some would call that the reign of terror but <laughs> well not not quite yet to to, to the, not like 2003 or just, just no no, no, no i'm saying the triple h run they would call it the reign of terror that that's frequently what it was what is referred no, to but dominated not, the company yeah well i was thinking a couple years later but yeah so oh, okay. we, we we've had these we've had these kind of defining parts of the company uh, of of an era essentially and that's what this is. The one thing I would say, though, is that the, the the bloodline itself has been terrific. We love it. We love everything they've done with it. Has there been many defining feuds within that, do you feel? Like Austin had The Rock or Austin had McMahon. You know, like, like we've had basically what I'm saying in some a criticism I have heard of the Roman reign right. is... Has Roman made anybody yet through his feud with them, even if they lose? I would say he enhanced Riddle's profile. He made him legitimate. Um, He probably did the same to Cesaro, but they weren't able to capitalize on it. They they chose not to and then didn't because he didn't resign with them. So those were the two people where, like, you could say progress was made. I think you make a good point that there hasn't necessarily been a memorable storyline in terms of a feud within the larger storyline, but that's largely because he hasn't dropped the title. When you think about, when you compare this, let's say to Stone Cold Steve Austin and and Mr. McMahon and all that, he lost the title all the time. Then he won it back. So you had on the time. Yeah, (laughs) eventually. (laughs) So you had all of those individual feuds within the larger Stone Cold Steve Austin, 
Mr. Yes. McMahon storyline because they ended. You know, you had The Rock, you had Triple H, you could, you know, Shawn Michaels, you could go mm -hmm. on. So because he isn't losing, it's kind of tough to do that. I would say yes. the trio of matches with Kevin Owens was memorable for sure. Mm -hmm. The Edge Daniel Bryan feuds that were separate and combined and then continued separately, those were memorable as well. Drew McIntyre, the build that we got to Clash at the Castle was fantastic. But it was one match and they've moved away from it because yeah. they set up another challenger already for Drew. So I do think that your point is valid there. And by, by the way, regarding the Usos, uh, Street Profits, definitely. You know, that, that's an easy one right there. Uh, but the Usos, since becoming undisputed champions, it's been very weak booking for them. Because mm -hmm. the division, yeah. there was basically no tag team division. They're just now rebuilding it and adding teams. And right now, I'm actually going to talk about it later in the show. This tag team division in WWE, based on the number of teams and the quality of wrestlers, it's as good as it's been in a very long time. And Triple H did all this inside of yeah. two months, which is crazy impressive. Um, but so, no, you're right. There hasn't necessarily been a defining feud for Roman Reigns within this storyline. And the fact that it's lasted two years and we don't have a defining feud is unfortunate, significantly unfortunate. But it's because he's not losing the title. And, and by the way, you yeah. could maybe say the Brock Lesnar deal. Just because of the way it ended, he did finally overcome Lesnar. Right. That Th spectacle that is, yeah. at SummerSlam, yeah. I wasn't even considering that. You could make a case for that. But that feud in, on its own has been going on for seven years. So it's like... That, I, that's the defining feud. It's, it's Brock Lesnar it is the defining feud. The problem is... It didn't start and stop didn't, in, Brock inside the storyline. Yeah, yeah and, and Brock didn't need it. Ultimately, the... the losing elevating somebody is the thing that we've talked about forever when it has to be the only person left and the person i think we maybe both think it will be and will have to be the defining feud of this storyline is cody rhodes yeah he can make him and, without a doubt the biggest baby face in wwe i mean you could yeah. argue he already is but it's a no doubter if he goes over him at wrestlemania yeah so it, it's like i've loved ever i've loved everything about the bloodline I like the. I, I literally looked up on WWEshop.com to find one of the hats that they were selling. The mm -hmm. Usos wore a hat. It was it was like an old English font, but it was B L for Bloodline. But I can't. It's not on the shop. I don't know where to find oh, it. Oh, interesting. So I just. I, I. I mean, I got a Roman Reigns. I got the wreck everyone and leave shirt. Like I. That was the mm -hmm. first shirt I got in, in forever. Like I love what they're doing. Everything what they're doing. I do think it in some ways has come at expense of everyone else, but that is ultimately what the big payoff at the end of this whole thing is supposed to be. For. I would say it's it's come at the expense of everyone else over the last nine months. Since they, mm -hmm. or not nine months, they I forgot when they merged the titles at WrestleMania. Over the last five months, I would say it's coming at the expense of everyone else. But really, again, we talk about it all the, all the time on this podcast, ever since day one, when they put the title on Brock Lesnar and decided to merge them. So really, the entirety of 2022, the rest of the main event players in WWE haven't had anything to go after, the majority of them. Yeah. Whereas when when the titles were separated, even if Reigns wasn't on TV, you still had a main event storyline on the other brand that was that was going strong. So I, I do think that the build of this storyline and how extended it has been has indeed led to some detriments on the other side, basically. At the same time, if you look at the storyline itself in a vacuum, and especially, let's say it ends at WrestleMania. Uh, so if we look back on this, you know, in, tw in 2030, hey, you remember Roman Reigns, Tribal Chief, Head of the Table, The Bloodline? We're going to look back at that and say, 
holy shit, what a run that was. And there will be WWE specials made on it. And it's going to be treated. I don't know that it's going to be treated mega powers explode because it's not the top two guys in the company, not the main event of, of you know, there's shows, there's uh, pay-per-views every month. Mm-hmm. There's not four year or even less maybe like there was back then. So it's it's different. It's a different era. But I do think it will be in the category of Austin McMahon, mega powers explode, all of these big, you know, mountainous. Is that the right word? Uh, You know, yeah, mountainous storylines that are just, you remember that era in WWE. And I think this does have a legitimate chance by the time it's over to join those rankings. Those definitely, definitely the top 10, maybe the top five. Yeah, and and, and, and again, the best could still be yet to come based on how this ends if we right. have Sammy and if we have Sammy and KO take the titles off the Usos if we have Cody Rhodes take the title off of Roman and we'll get into this later in the show if we have a defining war games match at Survivor Series could you imagine um like WrestleMania night 2 the show opens with Kevin Owens and Sami Zayn beating the Usos for the tag team titles and the show ends with Cody Rhodes defeating Roman Reigns for the world championship he celebrates, he cries in the middle of the ring, Dusty, there's, maybe they even do a hologram of Dusty or an AR thing, <laughs> who knows what they're going to do. Uh, and then Owens and Zayn come out, and three of the biggest baby faces in the company, fan favorites, are all there together celebrating. Like, that could be an all-time WWE moment. Yeah. A- and it's set, the table set, not to quote Logan, Logan Paul, I'm not saying I am the table, but the table is set for this to play out and be really in the pantheon, in, in the top tier of all time WWE storylines. Let's find out if we get there. Thank you for indulging me. I did want to obviously discuss this on the show. Uh, not that Dan Bauman at Bauman 007, he did write in, he wrote in last week. I promised him I'd get it on today's show. Doesn't totally fit with everything we're talking about, but we're going to shove it in anyway. He said, I've been hearing speculation across a few podcasts about Roman holding the title to WrestleMania and facing The Rock. How do you get around the Royal Rumble winner stipulation? As I see no way The Rock enters the Rumble. It comes back to the whole flow, as you guys have mentioned, unifying the titles and backing themselves into a corner. So like I said, the DM came in last week. I promised I'd go over it. To make a long answer short, I can't speak for other podcasts that talked about Reigns Rock for the title. That does not make a shred of sense to me, The Rock challenging for the title. But if he was to do that, I would presume that booking would be on night one with Reigns fighting the Royal Rumble winner. On night two, I don't see The Rock working the Rumble, plus SmackDowns, all of this to promote WrestleMania, and then WrestleMania itself. If Rock does work Mania at all, I could see maybe two to four TV appearances leading into it, and that's it. Maybe a confrontation at one of the pay-per-views, you know, preceding WrestleMania, but not actually wrestling at that pay-per-view. So I don't exactly know... um, What's happening with The Rock? I don't think anyone does. It would probably be leaked if they did. But I still maintain if The Rock wrestles Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, it will be the night one main event. And Reigns will then defend the title in night two. That's what I expect to happen. I, I've i already said I don't like the Roman wrestling for two nights thing. But if you're going to do it and play it out the way we've kind New of Japan does it. it. I just want to clarify. New I know. Japan I know. Yeah. I know. I already went over why I don't like it. But I know. If we were to book it out the way we kind of have, that's how you'd have to do it. So we will see. I, I think they have to know now. They know now if The Rock is available or not, uh, just because of his schedule. 
I'm sure Probably. they know. They, they, may, they may keep it to a handful of couple of people, but Roman is specifically getting asked about it on every interview, including the Logan Paul podcast he just did. So I, I don't, would, and I also don't think they keep asking him that if, if he's not doing it, like if, if it's how, not, how do they, know? they want to know, I mean, Reigns would, Reigns would have to say it's not happening. Like you'd have to shut it down, but there's no reason to do that. It's Hollywood WrestleMania. I mean, they're not right. going to shut that uh, down. Yeah, but I think Logan Paul specifically asking him on a podcast that kind of blended in within kayfabe. I don't know. Okay, no, that's fair. That's a good point because it was a kayfabe podcast and, you know, they knew they were doing a storyline, so he wouldn't have asked it if it wasn't approved by WWE for him to ask. That's that, that's, that's actually, my thought, at least. That's a really good point to the entire thing. But I do think if they do it, and, and I would guess that the Rock thing, I don't think it's decided necessarily. I would guess they have a six-month deadline where they're like November 1st or 8th. What I don't know what day WrestleMania is, but early November, we need to know now. It's a drop dead date. Are you doing it or mm-hmm. are you not? I think we're close. Yeah. I think we're close to knowing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, I maintain that if Rock is there, it makes sense. You do it night one. Reigns can lose the title on night two. And he has an easy excuse. <laughs> I wrestled my cousin. I was exhausted. Uh, he took advantage of me. Congratulations, Cody. You don't really deserve it. Blah, blah, blah. Right. It doesn't re- lessen Cody any. Um, or whoever would potentially win on night two. But at the same time, it would give Reigns an excuse where he ultimately lost the title. So that's that's what I think will happen if The Rock is at WrestleMania. Anyway, Chris, we have a second part of this main event and we have so much shows still left to get to. And that second part is Triple H announcing that WWE Survivor Series, at least for this year, it seems, is moving away from the traditional setup and instead becoming Survivor Series War Games. Yes, I said it. Survivor Series War Games. During an interview with The Ringer that was published on Monday, uh, it was announced the co-main event of the show, Survivor Series, will be five-on-five men's and women's War Games matches. Triple H said they will be based on storyline, not Raw versus SmackDown. And that is certainly a positive as well. Now, Chris, it's pretty clear that we've been headed in that direction. It sounds like they're going to keep the NXT format without a roof. They're also going to allow pinfalls in the match, neither of which were part of the traditional war games back in the day where you had to submit or basically give up. And there was, of course, a roof on the entire structure. Uh, Triple H commented that the presence of blood and blading, quote, what we do is dangerous enough without making it more dangerous. We change that practice and it's irresponsible to go back. So he's basically saying, we're not going to be purposely bleeding in this match. Those two elements, the open top and no blading, it allows this to continue to stand on its own from AEW Blood and Guts, which of course has the roof and they blade heavily, not just in AEW, but specifically in that match. A little bit. I do hope, yeah, I do hope uh, it's more like a bloodletting than it is blading. Uh, I do hope WWE brings back the match beyond designation after all 10 people are in the ring, as I don't think that was ever used in NXT. But really, the only true negative, as I played the sound drop, is that William Regal is no longer in WWE to scream, War Games! That hurts big time. I loved when Triple H brought back War Games for NXT. But I do have some mixed thoughts here. It's probably my age showing, but I always liked the traditional Survivor Series matches. They can be really good when they're booked well. uh, And going away from Raw versus SmackDown for the five-on-fives, with Triple H holding the book, it does accomplish that. Think about the triple threat version that we got with NXT a few years ago. The, those matches were fantastic. 
If it was up to me, I might have included NXT here and saved War Games either for NXT specifically, like it currently was or previously was, or used War Games as a special match on another show. That said, it is fair to note that Survivor Series is probably an outdated concept and it has long needed to be modernized. And I guess it doesn't really make the most sense to take an awesome concept like War Games and keep it stuck on a developmental brand when it can be elevated like this, especially if Elimination Chamber is going to continue to be a blood money show every year, which based on the calendar may well happen. So overall, I'm bullish of this, but I will miss the five on five elimination matches. I did always enjoy those. You know, there are there are there are topics like this that come out when I'm certain that you and I are finally going to like disagree on, on, on something. And I expected you to you here to be all in on war games, like head over heels. And I am. Uh, don't get me wrong. I'm very excited for it. My, my take is I like Survivor Series matches better than War Games matches. That that might be that's taking it maybe a, a, a step a lot further than you. But like it is. Yeah. Sur- Survivor Series was created in response to War Games. Like, first it, of all, that, like was. that whole history is is known. Yeah. And, and, and Triple H knows that and everything. He did a big interview with the ringer up about this. It, it but, was created in response to it and it immediately outsold it. Yes. War yeah. games to me is just too complicated. I don't like having it, it, the first half of the match before everybody gets in the ring is, is always awkward and weird and boring. And I say this as someone who went to AEW blood and guts this year in Detroit. It's a slow, like you just, it is. it's a slow build until you finally get to everything. And it, it, it does, it just becomes a mess at the end of it. Um, because there's so much going on. Survivor Series, you know, ten man elimination matches. There's natural stories to tell from that format of a match. War Games kind of just gets messy. Um, so I was kind of disappointed to see this. Like, I, I'm fine with doing War Games and in in, in fitting it in somewhere. And heck, I, I think Triple H originally wanted to do War Games. But Vince didn't, and that's why Absolutely. they came up with the Elimination Chamber. Absolutely. Yep. Uh, so, like, there is a lot of history with all of this stuff. But, you know, it's the Survivor Series. Like, to, I, I know it, it's kind of lost its luster for a long time, but, you know, you know there, there, there have been memorable Survivor Series matches to me in recent years. The, the Authority one where Dolph Ziggler won and Sting came, mm-hmm. you know, Sting came to W. That was really cool. The Raw versus SmackDown versus NXT when Keith mm-hmm. Lee got his big moment. That Keith Lee and Roman Reigns. Cool. I'll never forget that. Yeah, yeah. That was real. Like I just, I always, I liked, I liked the ten man Survivor Series match in years where you had a good storyline around it, and I'm gonna miss it this year. And ultimately, look, if we're getting a War Games match with the Bloodline, like. Again, that could be, again, one of the defining matches of the Bloodline era, and I think it'll be good, but I do kind of want to pour one out here for the Survivor Series match, at least for now. Well, that's the thing, because the Bloodline, I mentioned it, what was it, last week's show or two weeks ago, the Bloodline has five members. I think I said they have Mm -hmm. a Survivor Series team. They're already, Mm -hmm. right? So the Survivor Series is really good when there are storylines that make it good and important. And this year those storylines exist. There's one developing with damage control. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And of course, there's the Bloodline storyline. So this year actually is the year where they don't need to go to war games, right? Where, yeah. where, or, or if you are going to do war games, and this is the other thing, 
have it be organic. I know that like, dude, what WWE is doing and there's reasons for it and good for them, right? They're utilizing the ringer or ESPN or the Pat McAfee show or this to make all these big announcements and get people hyped. But you know how cool it would be or how much cooler it would have been if, you know, Survivor Series was approaching, it was three, four weeks out. And, and by the way, they're not hurting for ticket sales. I think they're almost sold out, if not already sold out. So this isn't a ticket sales issue where they're trying to drive like revenue, right? But where it's like three weeks out and this bloodline versus whomever storyline, it's boiling over and people are going crazy. And there's a huge brawl on SmackDown and Triple H runs out for the first time that we see him on TV in this role. He separates everyone. He goes, that's it. I'm sick of this. We're not doing a Survivor Series match. We're going to settle this inside war games. And the crowd goes wild and it's a huge pop and it's a big moment. And there's one match on the card, one war games match, not two. Instead, by announcing it ahead of time and ensuring that it's equal for the men and women, and, and please do not get me wrong, I love that the men and women, I should really say the women, get the same opportunities in WWE now as the men. I love that there's a women's Royal Rumble, a women's uh, Money in the Bank match. Mm -hmm. Usually, Hell in a Cell some years, it's, I think, was this year only a women's match? I don't even remember, but so, sometimes that happens. So I love all that. But what really makes War Games, Hell in a Cell, TLC, some of these matches special is when they're booked organically, not when they are jammed into a pay-per-view schedule. And if they just threw war games on, you know, I don't know, extreme rules, right? Or they threw a hell in a cell at WrestleMania backlash because you needed to settle a feud that wasn't settled at WrestleMania. That to me is far more exciting, booking the special matches when feuds call for it, as opposed to doing it specifically at a show of that name. And they decided to go the other route here. I want everyone to understand, I am not shitting on this. I am very, very excited for Survivor Series War Games. It's going to be great. The Bloodline in a War Games match is going to be exceptionally fun. And I'm sure the women's match is going to be fantastic, given the talent of women that it seems like we're going to get for that match. I'm just saying, could it have been done better? Could it have been saved or utilized differently? I think it could have been while still maintaining the uniqueness of the Survivor Series five-on-five -five elimination matches. I agree. And like, like that's that's the the thing with like telling a media outlet, no, it's going to be storyline based. You know, if kayfabe's dead, it's kind of like, oh, it's that time of year. Right. You know, exactly. where we, we where we start to team up with each other before the match comes. Like, so that's always just kind of been a weird part of it, too. It was always weird with war games back in the day. Weird with Survivor Series back in the day. I, I oh, another Survivor Series match, the end of the invasion. That was a great survivor series match by the way i just that one popped into my head so um yeah i i agree with everything i don't like hell in a cell pay-per-view i don't like tlc elimination chamber whatever save it for special feuds but it's been this way forever now and i imagine it's gonna stay that way so as long whatever. as they we'll, see, we'll see engagement and impressions and all those yeah. analytical yeah. data points yeah. it's gonna keep going it, like it's this. just yeah. you know triple h has obviously immediately put his stamp on every way he possibly can with names coming back with all kinds of different things and this is as big as any of those to yeah. basically turn survivor series into war games which is just kind of goes against the whole history of survivor series right. but uh that's what it is now but to clarify your point though because i clarified mine you're still excited for this it's just yes. you're, you're noting hey you know I wish it either would have been done differently or that the integrity of Survivor Series would have. I, th I think there's a good chance we get a, again, 
a era defining war games match with the bloodline here. Absolutely. So that will be great. I just, I'm just sad about not having survivor series. Basically. And by the way, is boy, oh boy, is there an out for them to lose with Sami Zayn on that team? And him like yeah. getting, potentially getting excommunicated from the bloodline. Well, after. no, I, I think the bloodline wins. I'm just saying there's an out there. There's a way that there they is can lose out. it. Yeah. You know? yes. Or Jay could lose, you know, or like, like either of them, there's a storyline that can progress if something like that was to happen. Speaking of match predictions, really, really fast. Okay. Uh, I mentioned after Clash of the Castle, like I said, Bloodline was already a five-person team. They will be in this match. I don't think anyone will be yep. surprised by that. Here's what I'm saying. Seth Rollins or Riddle, Kevin Owens, Drew McIntyre, and a tag team, I'm going to guess the Street Profits for the men's side. For the women, damage control plus a pair of heels, I'm going to guess Ronda Rousey and Shayna Baszler. Then you have Bianca Belair, Asuka, Alexa Bliss, Liv Morgan, and a returning Becky Lynch for the baby faces. I think I nailed those both matches. I'm not saying that you, I don't even know if you had predictions prepared, but what do you think of those? My my first question is if, if Becky's back by then. I, I, I think know. she's we'll, back. We'll see. I hope so. I think she's back um, before Extreme Rules. I, I love those matches. My question just becomes, what is on the rest of the show? That's the problem. I mean, <laughs> I, <laughs> problem. I, I guess, you know, I guess there's an intercontinental championship title. match, U.S. championship the, the, match. The mid card being elevated helps. So women's tag team title. I oh, know the women's the women couldn't defend but, their titles. I, but yeah. yeah, but right there, if the bloodline beats that team, like that's a defining moment for the bloodline. So like that, that's that's something yeah. you accomplish with this. One other quick note, uh, when they announced this on Raw, they played War Pigs by Black Sabbath in the background. Yes. I think you all know, longtime listeners of the podcast, I am a rap hip hop guy, uh, but I do love classic rock and man, hitting that song and another one that we're going to talk about later, uh, using songs like that, man, it just enhances stuff, right? It, it it makes it feel real and makes it feel important. Not some just like, you know, song that no one really knows that they just throw onto a show because it happens to fit a little bit. You know what I mean? Yes, good for WWE for shelling out the money to get that. Absolutely. All right, that was the main event. It is now time to cover everything else that happened on WWE television this week across SmackDown and Raw. And boy, oh boy, do we still have a lot to talk about by sliding into the good, the bad, and the ugly. So we'll start with SmackDown, where Karrion Cross was with Scarlett, saying the hands of time decide judgment, and Drew McIntyre was publicly executed last week by the People's Executioner. Scarlett made fun of Drew, as Cross said he changes the timelines and rewrites history, while McIntyre remains on an endless loop of suffering that he, Cross, will control. The aesthetic of this promo was fantastic, but you could mm -hmm. barely hear half of it. And yep. it was really, it just felt like Cross was rambling the entire time. The storyline is beginning to get boring and repetitive for me. Most will probably disagree, but for this promo, I'm actually going bad. I'm still going good. I I, I liked it. Um, the stuff about rewriting the timeline is... Interesting. Like, is that a reference to like, hey, my first run on the main roster here? Like, I'm just I'm erasing that and replacing it. But they never he never gets any deeper other than exactly. kind of philosophical phrasing. So I just I need a little bit more meat on that bone. You don't have to be like, hey, remember, I was the guy with the mask because then we're going to be like, oh, you're a joke. But <laughs> right. but we need some, you know, Drew wasn't there to, to, to fire back or anything. 
Uh, just need a little bit more. I, I still liked it. Still give it a good though. By the way, depending how long Cross has a run on the main roster, that mask could get pulled out. Like remember how Seth Rollins was trolling people with his entrances? Like if he ever fights Rollins, Rollins could very well like wear that mask to the ring one time. That would be yep. so freaking hysterical if he did that. <laughs> uh, later in the show on SmackDown, McIntyre appeared out of the crowd. He was in street clothes, which you and I love. Uh, he jumped onto the announce table. He said he was waiting for Cross backstage all day, but Cross doesn't have the balls to face him like a man. So clearly this is building for a match at Extreme Rules. I just thought this was a really good look for Drew. This is what we're talking about with Drew, right? We said, get rid of the sword. And if you do use it, only use it for a ring entrance, like when you're going into a match and especially a big match, you know, more than anything else. But when he's in the ring, he can't be coming out in his gear. He needs to be coming out in street clothes, looking serious, you know, being upset and aggressive. And that's what we saw on the build with Roman Reigns. And that's what we saw here. So yes, this was a good for me. I agree. Not much to add other than that. By the way, really funny. I texted you. <laughs> I texted you. I was going to say this. I know. I I know. This. So I texted you before. Uh, so Monday night, as I was putting the show together, and I was, and I don't mean to spoil the rest of the segment, but I was scrolling through the segment and I'm like, this is it. It happened. I have all goods. There's no bads, no uglies. It's the first time WWE did it. I somehow skipped over the carrying cross promo that I didn't like, which was a bad. So still the very, not bad. The very bad. first thing you texted me, I don't have any bads or uglies. And the very first thing we're doing is a bad. So I was, I, was, I didn't want to say it, but yes. So what I do is I have, just so everyone knows, like I have like the segment name, what it was, a couple bullet points. And then I write in capital letters, bad, ugly, or good. Just so I know, like it jogs my mind. Oh yeah, that's what I thought at the time. So I bold them. This one wasn't bolded. So because it wasn't bolded, it didn't catch my eye. Therefore, I forgot that it was bad. But yes, uh, Cross bad, McIntyre good. Now, this could have been a main event topic, but we I wanted to talk about Karrion Cross before I broached it. During a commercial break at SmackDown on Friday, off television, fans experienced an odd and unique moment as an acapella version of White Rabbit, the very famous song from Jefferson Airplane from the late 60s, sung by Gray Slick, creepily played in a pitch black arena with a red light shining on the ring at the end of the song. The same thing happened at a house show on Saturday. It happened again on Sunday and a fourth time during a commercial break at Raw on Monday night. Now, if you've never heard the song with the instrumental, it's incredible. Like the real version of the song, go download it or listen on Spotify, I think is what the kids do these days. Go listen to the song, put it on your list. It's awesome. But the acapella version with Grace's voice on its own, no backing track. It is chilling and especially chilling when it echoes in a huge arena with a crowd being silent. Listen to this. When the men on the chessboard get up and tell you where to go. Just had some kind of mushroom And your mind is moving Feed your 
Chris, as I said, that is like chilling. Now, this is a heavy song. For those who don't know or didn't pick it up, and it is a lot of older dated references, and I'm I know I'm almost washed, but I'm not old yet. So give here's me a break. the thing. Here's the, here's the thing about being old. I actually know this song because it was the song in the latest Matrix trailer. It was. That is that's true. That's where I got. That's where I first heard it. So. Oh really? You've <laughs> never heard it before that? I had never heard it before. So people may okay. actually know it from that. So my so my my mom grew up in this era. So when I was a kid, I listened to a lot of this music when we were in the car going to school, things like that. Not this song specifically. She didn't play this for me, but I my interest was peaked. It's also a girl I dated in college who was into this type of music. So long story short, I know Jefferson Airplane. I know White Rabbit. A lot of people do, especially the older fans. But um, it's a deep song. And it White Rabbit, what's referenced at the end of the song, it represents your curiosity. Feed Your Head is about expanding your mind with knowledge, psychedelic drugs, experiences, things like that. And the entire thing obviously plays off of themes from Alice in Wonderland. Now, if you watched footage of these happenings in the arena, fans very quickly, from the first time it happened on SmackDown, but it progressed Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, they would take out their phones and hold them in the air like fireflies. Some fans online, people on Twitter, Reddit, wherever, IWC, they refused to acknowledge for a long time that WWE was doing this purposefully. Oh, it's a sound check. They're just something they're doing during breaks. But this was, Chris, straight up genius viral marketing. Not only that, it should help with ticket sales because fans now have that extra motivation to go to shows. Anything can happen, even during the commercial breaks. Then at Raw on Monday, a QR code mysteriously appeared on paper behind Austin Theory. He was like getting ready uh, backstage and he was being filmed. That led the QR code to an animation that we posted on Twitter at Getting Overcast. You can go check it out. I, I captured the video and put it up there. It says, feed your head with a picture of a white rabbit and a checkered hole from Alice in Wonderland, like the path. Uh, then there was a hangman game with the question, quote, who killed the world? The answer was, you did. Also, the first five letters the rabbit jumped on were D-E-M-O-N, so demon. Uh, there was also an hourglass in the corner that was turning during the game, and the video ended after the hangman was solved with the words, come with me going down the rabbit hole before 9.23 flashed on the screen in white and blue, presumably referring to SmackDown on that date, which is this coming Friday. At 9.23 p.m. on Raw, a fan wearing a Jefferson Airplane Tour shirt held up a sign that had the exact same QR code on it, leading us to the same video. You had to be very quick to catch it during that match. This brings us now to one of two potential roads as far as I see it, Chris. One is Karrion Cross. He previously used the name White Rabbit in Lucha Underground. We also had the hourglass and clearly the fact the date and colors alluded to SmackDown. But when it comes to Cross, he's already been completely established in his return. It wouldn't really make sense to build a new character for someone you just debuted who is in the middle of a feud with someone. The other road is far more exciting, and in my opinion, much more likely. And yes, that road leads to Bray Wyatt. There's the causation of the fireflies, the red light, the tone of the song, the mystery. It feels in every way like this is his third incarnation. 
Not to mention the phrasing, feed your head, come with me. Very similar to let me in. The font of you did in the video matched font that is used on some of Wyatt's WWE shirts. Plus, who killed the world? Well, wouldn't the eater of worlds be the person to ask that question? The lights even briefly went out during Alexa Bliss's match later on Raw during the same show. At first, I thought it was a total coincidence. But then I was like, oh, wait, Alexa Bliss is wrestling. This is not a coincidence whatsoever. <laughs> Chris, I absolutely love this shit. Such good shit. From the viral marketing aspect to the teases, to getting people in the arenas excited, playing it out quickly over a four-day span. We'll talk about whether it's going to be short-term or long-term. I want to get you in here. Holy shit, is this awesome. This was something, speaking of texting each other during the show, I had missed this. You had texted me about the White Rabbit. I said, well, what are you talking about? And he said, go to the Twitter account. It's on there. I, I, I was doing some work at the time when Raw was on. I wasn't fully engaged with what was going on. So I missed that. So I found that. I found the QR code. I found the website, WWE.com slash come with me, I think it is. And um, I'm like all in on this stuff now. I didn't notice the Alexa Bliss light turning off until you just mentioned it here now. So like that is to me, clearly leading to Bray Wyatt finally. And, but it could, it could mix together. We could have Bray Wyatt and Scarlett and Karen Cross together. You know, like Bray has been in teams before. He's with Alexa, he had the Wyatt family. It, it would, it would fit. And now SmackDown Friday night is a must watch. I said at the beginning of the show, it I don't often watch. watch SmackDown Live. Yep. I'm watching SmackDown Live this Friday night because I, I, I want to see this. This is so, it's such a cool way to, again, as we've said since Triple H took over, reward people for paying attention. That, that is how you build fan loyalty. That is what Triple H did with NXT, and he's now doing it here on the main roster. And this is just extremely, very cool, very creative. And... I'm looking forward to it. Like I, I'm always someone who says, don't tell me something's coming. Give me a surprise like mm -hmm. just out of nowhere. But if you're going to be creative and do it like this, like that works too. Like you, you, like I wouldn't, I wouldn't have seen it, but people who were paying attention did see it. If I wasn't doing this podcast, if I, I, I would have, I may have missed most of it and then I'd be surprised on Friday. So like, this is just very cool and creative and a different way to do things. And I'm watching SmackDown on Friday. And by the way, this is an example, and I don't mean to contrast something with AEW, but whereas with AEW, they assume that their people watching, their fans watching TV know everything that happens on the internet and their shows, they're fully involved in the IWC. This is an example of WWE doing the opposite, basically, where they're saying, hey, if you know what's happening on the internet, cool, that's extra credit for you, right? You get a little extra bonus here. But if you don't, well, we still gave you a QR code live on screen. They did the same thing in NXT a couple times. And whatever happens is going to happen on SmackDown on 923. Now, we're not necessarily saying that someone's going to return there or it's going to be the finality of the entire thing. We can talk about that in a moment. But there's going to be a follow-up that you need to watch on 923.4. Uh, you just said SmackDown on Friday is a show you now have to watch live. I watch every SmackDown live, right? Um, I can't watch this one live. <laughs> so I have, a prior, oh, no. I have a prior engagement. I have to tape the show. 
I'm screwed. So uh, the phone will be shut off during the entirety of SmackDown until I get home and can put yes. it on the television. Uh, I, I, you know, folks, you know, with the Twitter account, I love tweeting during the shows. You're not going to get it during SmackDown. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be able to do it. Um, so, yeah, it sucks. It's, it could be a momentous moment. Uh, momentous moment. Obviously, a moment would be momentous. Uh, it could be a significant moment in WWE storytelling. I will not be there to witness it live. It's very unfortunate. Before we move off this, I, I mentioned Karrion Cross. I mentioned Bray Wyatt. There are two other ways this could go. And I'm kind of just like spitballing to give people other options here. One very random thought I had is Charlotte Flair. Um, it would just be an absolute total swerve. But other than there being a queen in Alice in Wonderland, there's really no other connection for her. The other is perhaps some kind of combination of Wyatt and Cross. Back during the Fiend era with the Firefly Funhouse, Wyatt wanted each of the characters to represent someone in WWE and actually be them. Like, like someone would be the incarnation of Ramblin' Rabbit, for example, and so on and so forth. The boss was obviously Vince McMahon. Uh, but this could be Cross as the rabbit whose strings are being pulled by Wyatt. Now, that's a little far-fetched to me because Cross has, like I said, been booked so strong on his own already, and he already has Scarlet in his corner. But it is something that crossed my mind, no pun intended, uh, thinking on this. Wyatt, let's not forget, still has the long-term history with Reigns. That could play into the entire thing. Either way, no matter what happens on Friday, I do hope the final reveal is not Friday. It seems a little rushed to do it in a four-day span and then wait a couple days and then just give it all away on SmackDown. Think about how long we had those Firefly Funhouse teases and vignettes before Bray yeah. Wyatt returned. And then later, we actually got The Fiend. The season premiere of SmackDown, it's two weeks past Friday. That, to me, would be the perfect time to do the final unveiling or perhaps even at Extreme Rules. But no matter what, it just feels good, Chris, to be forced to really think about something that makes you really care what happens on WWE television. Yeah, there's a mystery. And, and I, I want to tune in and see what the mystery is. And remember, Triple H was on the Ariel Helwani interview a couple weeks ago and was asked about Bray Wyatt and said he's a very creative guy, just has to kind of be reined in a little bit sometimes. And so maybe that's what we're getting. It very well might be. Now, as I said, there is a lot of show left, so let us get to it. The United States Championship was defended. Bobby Lashley against Seth Rollins. This open Raw, I presume to try to combat the double Monday night football competition. On that note, I think I mentioned it briefly earlier, it's going to be a win for WWE if Raw doesn't have like a record low rating this week because they went up against yeah. two Monday night football games simultaneously. And that, by the way, is something that's going to happen three times next year. So really tough. I, I thought it was terrible, by the way, what the NFL did. Like it wasn't enjoyable as a viewer to have two games on simultaneously in prime time. It didn't work. So I, I hope someone smartens up. But when there's money to be made, games get scheduled around. And you and I both have experienced that plenty with college football. Anyway, uh, Lashley literally halted a stomp attempt by holding his upper body and neck in like a push-up posture. I thought it was brilliant. Just a great spot early in the match. Rollins worked an injured bicep and Lashley uh, got thrown into the corner. That's how he first developed the injury. Uh, Rollins hit two tope suicidas, but the second one had a rough landing. Rollins then got helicoptered into the post. Lashley hit a dominator afterward, but Rollins came back with a buckle bomb, frog splash, crossface. Lashley eventually broke the crossface with his strength. 
Lashley got a running power slam. Rollins countered a spear directly into a pedigree for a near fall, good false finish. Lashley avoided his Phoenix splash and a stomp to catch Rollins with a hurt lock. Rollins tried rolling Lashley over for a fall, but he kept the lock in. Uh, the referee ended up getting trampled by them. That let Rollins do a mule kick blow behind uh, in Lashley's balls. Suddenly, Matt Riddle ran down, uh, given the dirty tricks. He distracted Rollins, and that let Lashley hit a spear for the title retention in 20 minutes to open the show. So since you can't have Rollins be pursuing the undisputed title and simultaneously losing clean to Lashley, this to me was the perfect booking. I appreciated that they stayed away from the disqualification, and they didn't have Riddle run down just randomly. They waited for Rollins to cheat, and Riddle said, you know what? That's enough. I can't let that stand. That is good baby face shit. Even when Riddle did run down, he didn't interfere. He never touched the ring apron. He didn't jump on top of it. He didn't hit Rollins. He just was there enough to distract him. So I thought it was good. It wasn't a notably great match, but it was very entertaining. I did think the commercial breaks hindered the momentum, but that happens with every long television match. Definitely a good, the spot where Bobby Lashley is too strong to take the curb stop was brilliant. Mm -hmm. Frankly, I was like, oh man, this should have been saved for like a title match. It really should have been. The end of a match. Yeah. (laughs) Like that's an iconic moment right there. And like, we, we got it on the raw just because, but it was very, very good. Um, uh, match was fun. I was fine with the finish in the moment. This was the first match of the show. We are going to get into it. There were a lot of distraction finishes on this episode of Raw, especially from the baby faces, which I think I will complain about later. But it was fine at the moment for this one. Yeah, I have a specific criticism about the match booking on Raw. Uh, I think there were not many. It wasn't four matches on the entire show or maybe five, but I'm saving that criticism for the end. If you get to it before me, that's fine. But I am saving that. Uh, We will get there. Uh, Really quick before we move on, it really does feel to me, Chris, like Lashley's in the midst of what could become like an all-time United States Championship run in WWE. Now, I'm not necessarily saying number one greatest of all time, but maybe one of the top three or four that we've seen. I mean, he's going over people strong. He looks great with the title. He's dominant. They clearly love him. The fans are huge Bobby Lashley marks at this point. It just feels mm-hmm. like something kind of special is happening with Lashley. It does. And the fact that he hasn't really been in any specific feuds for a while now, he's just kind of having matches, but people are into it. So it's that's working. true. He hasn't had like a long-term feud specifically for the title. He's just been in kind matches. Of the, with the, the Austin theory was kind of the last feud he had. He hasn't really done anything since. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really good point. Uh, we had Riddle and Rey Mysterio scheduled for a match against Judgment Day. Riddle joked backstage about Dominic Mysterio looking like the goth kids on South Park, which if you guys have seen that show, what a fantastic freaking reference that was. Obviously, the reference that Riddle would make would be South Park, but still great reference. Very, very funny. Uh, he also said he wanted to help Ray get revenge on Judgment Day. Ray later said he wished he knew Dom carried all this resentment so he could have settled this long ago. Rhea Ripley started a promo in the ring calling Dom a man. Finn Balor said he's a brave man for standing up to his father. Damian Priest put him over for fighting his own battles. Ripley said Poppy is proud of him and then stroked his hair, which was funny. Uh, All of a sudden, booze just rained down from the fans as soon as Dominic touched the mic. Freaking haters. They are jealous that this guy is with Ripley right now. Uh, (laughs) Dom said he had finally found a family in Judgment Day. 
And then Balor had them pose for a family portrait. I didn't actually see the picture. I hope it did get posted somewhere because I'm sure that's a great picture. So we had the match. Uh, Balor got booed trying three amigos. Riddle got his normal hot tag with the referee distracted. Ripley grabbed Riddle by the hair and hit a backdrop at ringside. Riddle caught Priest with a weak bro to sleep. Ray also got a solid hot tag. Riddle hit Priest with a PK and a springboard floating bro outside. Ray nailed Balor with the 619. But as he went for the frog splash, Ripley distracted. Rollins attacked Riddle outside. Ray chased him off with a chair. Dom got on his knees, daring his dad to hit him with the chair. The referee just decided to not count these guys out, even though they were outside the ring for like 45 seconds. And all of Judgment Day was inside the ring. It should have been a count out. Whatever, we can get away from that. Uh, Ray, of course, did not hit his son with a chair. Instead, he went inside and immediately got caught with a sling blade, choke slam, and coup de grace for the loss. This was a nice match from a storyline standpoint. Uh, the promo beforehand was maybe the best Judgment Day has been together to this point. It's all starting to fuse together and become natural. They played the crowd like a fiddle to get more heat on Dom. For me, this is Judgment Day finally working. Not just with this, there was a backstage segment later. There was even a promo that they cut on Raw Talk that was hysterical. You should go watch that. For me, it's all starting to work. The match, it was good as you would expect with these four wrestling. Was it special? No, but it was very entertaining television. Uh, they did post that picture. I saw Rhea Ripley and Finn posted it on Instagram. I'm going to look right now while you're talking. Uh, so, so it is there. It's, it's pretty funny. Those boos that Dominic got, remember, coming out of Clash at the Castle, the Dominic turning on Ray video on the WWE YouTube channel got more than a million views. Mm-hmm. Like people are really into Dominic turning on Ray, and those boos are the biggest boos anybody got the whole weekend. Like th- th- this has more heat right now than almost anything in the company from a, from a heel standpoint, and that's why Judgment Day is finally working because they finally have like something going on. They're not just challenging edge for no reason and losing matches over and over they turned a son against his father there you go that's the story that's something that people can connect to and get get hooked on and i've said it every week but these guys seem to be just having a lot of fun together and it comes across on the screen and i think they are enjoying dominic was smiling when he took the mic and they were booing him so much he couldn't help but pop for how much heel heat he has right now and i think they all realize that and are having fun with it so this is definitely a good. It's just, yeah, it's completely working. And I did, by the way, um, find the picture. I just tweeted it. So if anyone doesn't know what we're talking about, you can check our Twitter and it is up there for you. Very, very fun. So Riddle and Rollins brawled backstage later, uh, just, you know, all their antagonism and aggression kind of coming to a head. Uh, all of a sudden, like two dozen officials and security guards separated them. As they were being held back, Rollins accepted the rematch challenge saying anytime, anywhere, Riddle screamed extreme rules inside the fight pit. Judgment Day also celebrated later with Dom uh, saying he wanted to join Priest for one of those infamous parties that he throws. Priest said he's ready to take out Riddle next week. That match is scheduled to Priest and Riddle. And then as Judgment Day is about to leave the arena, Balor sees something out of the corner of his eye. He tells the group, I want to handle this on my own. Balor walks up and sees AJ Styles on the phone He asked why Styles has been ignoring him. Styles said that's because Balor turned his back on him and joined the Judgment Day. Balor clarified, he said, I did join the Judgment Day, but I never turned my back on you. He said he wanted no part of it. Styles did. Balor said he was looking for a friend, but Styles was clearly looking for a fight. Balor then got in his face, but he backed off, hugged him, 
threw up too sweet and said the offer still stands. Honestly, Chris, I'm not sure what Triple H is trying to do to me, but this is too much good shit all at once. The fucking fight pit is back and it's on the main roster. Balor and Styles are beginning a feud. This is outstanding. This is hitting me right in the feel spot. Balor, Styles, I don't need to explain it, but holy shit, has Balor been revitalized by Judgment Day? For those who don't know, Fight Pit, it's a reimagining of the Lion's Den match. It was thought to be Riddle's gimmick. In NXT, it actually turned into Timothy Thatcher's gimmick once Riddle left. He had a second match, but it looks like it's now reverted back to Riddle, and for good reason, because this guy actually has an MMA background, and of course, Thatcher is also out of the company. Be sure to go watch both of those matches. I should also note, before Raw on Monday night, Ken Shamrock, who, of course, with Steve Blackman, I think they both had Lions Den matches. He pointed out, uh, he's like, WWE's been great recently. I don't have the exact tweet, but, you know, I'm excited to watch it again. So it kind of makes me think maybe there's going to be a Ken Shamrock involvement as <laughs> a special guest referee or just someone who was interviewed about it. I don't know, but that element is possibly there. Obviously, Triple H wrestled with him. Anyway, Triple H loves NXT so much. He called up two matches to the main roster this week. It's amazing. All of this was good. Not just the booking and all that, but the stuff that we got backstage, the promos, very good stuff. Ken Shamrock tweeted, yes, uh, Monday, midday, some interesting things going on in the WWE lately. Very excited to see what this new era brings. Hoping to see some attitude, fire emoji. And then uh, after the announcement, someone said, perfect match to bring Ken Shamrock back as a special guest referee. And Ken Shamrock said, couldn't agree more okay i didn't i actually didn't even see that that's cool okay yeah so i i had not seen the nxt fight pit i actually looked it up and i see oh it's like a square version of the old lion's den match but i guess if you're not playing if if you're not doing the show SummerSlam 98 at madison square garden and you can just do the fight pit in another part of madison square garden right right. this is the way to kind of do it which is wild to think back and look i don't know if that that old lion's den match was pre-taped or what but it's like in like the theater part of msg but they went to it like in the middle of the show and mm-hmm. watched that pay-per-view. But um, yeah, I like it. Now, this is an example of pulling up a match that calls for it and it's not a themed pay-per-view. Exactly. So, so that's awesome. Like it makes sense to elevate to this point. And they're like, there's no ropes. There's no like, it's just cage around a ring, you know? So And it's not a boring do. steel cage match where you can escape it. And it's not Hell in a Cell, which we've seen a million times. It's fresh and different. And there was a referee walking up at, or at least the old one, Lions Den, the referee was up top. Yeah, there's looks like NXT, Yeah. Yeah, it looks like NXT, the ref might have been down on the on the ring. But either way, you could, the, the referee doesn't involve himself Wait, much. Wait, so. ha- have you not seen these matches, these fight pit matches? Not the NXT ones, no. All right, you have homework. You need to watch yeah. those matches. They're yeah, both I, I've got, fantastic. I've got, images, I've got images of them up in my screen right I now. I can't believe you haven't seen those. That That is... so. But um, so that's great. And then the Balor AJ stuff. I love the clarification because when he said, no, I didn't turn my Mm -hmm. back on you. Mm -hmm. I was like, I was trying to remember. I was like, wait, didn't Judgment Day beat up AJ Styles? And I was like, oh, no, that was with Edge. Yep. That was before Finn Balor. So I appreciated that they kind of clarified that for those who may have been confused in the moment. And Finn, that was incredible from Finn, just the charisma and the personality that he showed there. Absolutely. Like That's the kind of that's the leader of leader and founder of bullet club heel Finn Balor that we, we don't often get. And that, I just find it really captivating. And, 
I, I, I said last week, I think, I don't know why Judgment Day keeps asking people to join or why they would want to join considering they keep losing. But if you just make it like, hey, we're just a bunch of dudes having fun. You want to come join the Judgment Day? Like, well, it's we're a family. Works. We're do- more dominant together. Yeah. We have each other's backs. Yeah, that yeah. that works. That starts to work for me. So I, I'm I'm very intrigued by all of this. And obviously, Finn gave the, the, the two sweet and everything. So we'll see. That was not the sound drop I thought I was going for. I was actually going for this one. I like it. I like it a lot. I'm going to need to uh, rename some of these. Uh, but yes, uh, Prison Finn, this new incarnation of him, is is great. By the way, shout out to Brian at B-R-Y-E-N-64 on Twitter, who straight up called the fight pit last week. I told him, I replied to his tweet. I said, it's going to be tough to execute on a main roster show because the build for NXT back in the day during the pandemic, I think they built it, they pre-taped the match, they inserted it into the show. I didn't know, or I didn't think WWE would be able to do it on a live show. He absolutely nailed the prediction. That was a good one, yeah. And that was the right sound drop this time. Uh, let's keep going here. Uh, we had New Day versus Hit Row versus Imperium versus the Brawling Brutes for a number one contendership for the undisputed WWE Tag Team Championships. Before we get to the match, I want to discuss the booking decision. WWE last week, Chris, announced a repeat number one contendership match from Raw. The one Braun Strowman made a no contest. That happened two weeks Mm -hmm. ago. While I thought that was a fair booking to like just restart the match because Strowman interfered, as I said at the time, it made no sense that the two heel teams were non-starters as potential contenders, while the Street Profits and New Day had already been eliminated as kayfabe contenders. Plus... I said it was absurd that New Day was in the match at all, given the Viking Raiders beat them clean in the Viking rules match. Well, wouldn't you know it? Friday comes around and the match is completely changed. Profits, Alpha Academy, Los Lotharios are out with Hit Row, Imperium, and the Brutes in. Exactly as it should have been. I was ready to remain critical about New Day, but Cole explained that Eric of the Viking Raiders is out indefinitely with a foot injury, so they couldn't compete. If that is true, which I assume it is, now it makes all the sense in the world why they aren't in the match and why New Day was. And if it's legitimate, which I have to believe it is, these guys have the absolute worst luck. Someone gets hurt every single time they're in the middle of a push. Anyway, I was so pleased to see this change. It was annoying that a couple things planned for SmackDown didn't happen as advertised. There were supposed to be Sammy Awards. Zayn was going to do something. This match obviously got changed. It's always annoying when plans are changed after they're promoted. But positive adjustments are positive adjustments. And this was a necessary move. I agree. <laughs> okay. Uh, so going to the match. Uh, the Brutes finally had matching gear. Top dollar teased a tope again. Xavier Woods then hit Giovanni Vinci with a bro kick before doing a tope con hero himself. Kofi Kingston followed with one off Top Dollar's back. Ridge Holland hit a great double underhook overhead suplex on Vinci. Imperium did a double sliding dropkick on Kofi. Woods hit the honor roll into a clothesline only to catch Butch and Ashante Adonis for a double DDT. Then he turned a fireman's carry into a falcon arrow, which I thought was a really inventive spot. Butch got a hot tag. Then Top Dollar got Kofi and Butch on his shoulders before catching Woods for a triple slam that was extraordinary, and it got kind of a disappointing pop from the crowd. Holland then caught him with a seriously insane Alabama slam on top dollar. 
This guy's like 400 pounds, wild. Kofi tagged in for a tope suicida on top dollar as Kofi hit Adonis with an inverted falcon arrow. Uh, Kofi then flew for a between-the-legs splash, broken fall. Imperium combined for a spinebuster, driving knee, and imperial bomb. But Holland blind tagged and covered Kofi for the one, two, three. Wow. Seriously, what a freaking match. What a tag team match. Emphasis on the tag, because that's what made this so great. The wrestling was top-notch. Woods was the clear MVP of the entire thing. Top Dollar was a close number two. Hit Row had their best showing. They reminded me what they really can do. As I said, Top Dollar is straight up beasted in this match. I take back my criticism from two weeks ago where I said, hey, they're nothing more than a lower team, lower tag team. They're not really going to get over. It can work. It definitely can work. New Day was exceptional with multiple teased finishes at the end, like I said. It almost angered me because of what I said before. They really shouldn't be fighting the Usos again. And I thought that's what they were going to do. (laughs) Yet, the exact right team won in the Brawling Brutes. The most legitimate threats in the match that were baby faces going up against a heel team in the Usos. No doubter of a good. I went 4.25 stars and an A. I thought it was an exceptional wrestling match. Tremendous match. Loved it. Loved the finish. Loved the team that won. Bunch of good spots. This was the this was the main event of SmackDown, right? It was deservingly so. Yeah, and and, and deservingly so. So that was um, that was awesome. Um, some stuff before the match. As as Hit Row were coming out, I realized like they haven't really told us who Hit Row are yet. Like they just they come out and rap, but you can't really connect to that. So I feel like I, I know they had some vignettes, but like there's not. They feel like they're doing characters and, and it's just I not connecting to them yet. Even though I like them, I like Top Dollar and I'm glad he got those big spots because he's I find him really fun to watch in the ring because he's just a different kind of guy in the ring compared to everybody else going on. Also, uh, New Day came out dressed as Thor and Loki. And Corey Graves said Loki. He said it was he was he thinks he was dressed up as Loki or people are going to get mad if I get that wrong. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't help but think that when we had our conversation about all out in the, the post show, because um, uh, what's her name was was Jade Cargill dressed up as She-Hulk. Right. And you felt that they couldn't say She-Hulk on the broadcast for whatever couldn't reason. wouldn't concerns yeah. yeah yeah and so i just when i heard loki and you, you'd point out like johnny gargano they don't necessarily either so i don't know if Corey just said loki on his own and he wasn't supposed to or what this is a very very minor thing i just i, I know i i thought i had the same thought i had the same thought and I, I think he almost got like a message in his ear hey you shouldn't <laughs> say that and that's why <laughs> maybe that's why kind of michael cole came back on top of maybe it. yeah maybe also did it feel to you that I, I didn't go back and check, but the Imperium music, did it feel like they played more of the original theme before switching to the new one? Or was that what it was two at, weeks ago? At Clash of the Castle? I think it was the same. Because it felt longer to me. And I told you last week when they when they when they played it, uh, I popped because like, oh, man, they went to the old theme and then they didn't. And then they got me again. Like, I don't know why. I just, I thought, oh, they actually did bring back the music. No, they didn't. And I, I didn't go back to look. I don't know if it was longer before they cut to the old new one or what, but I just really want the old Imperium theme back. And yeah, that, and also I think there was like good, like five seconds of silent during this match because I think there was a holy shit chant. And when it's on Fox, they I know, completely dude. cut the sound it's off. It's not just Fox, it's Fox USA. 
AEW bleak yeah. Jade Cargill saying holy shit recently. What what's going on here? It's weird. Like Fox being on a broadcast network, I think has that's the only has, one I understand. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I there might be different, but it was just I just I caught that, and so just want to add those onto those. Yeah. Um, no. All that's true. Uh, the only issue I had with this booking wise, I should note, is the title match is happening next week on SmackDown. I, there's only two weeks until Extreme Rules by the time we get to Friday's show. I don't see why you wouldn't just wait and put this on the PLE. Like, there's only three matches, I think, booked for the show right now. So why not just put it on the show? I, I think that was very odd uh, to put it on SmackDown, uh, especially given the Undisputed Tag Team Championships are barely defended at all. And they really should be, given they're the only champions. Uh, moving over to Raw, the Brawling Brutes, Holland and Butch, uh, appeared on Raw to cut a promo on the Usos, given they're challenging for the titles. They explained it that, hey, we're challenging and we could potentially be on Raw, so that's why we're on Raw. Uh, they both spoke briefly. They didn't really say much. Uh, dressed in San Francisco Giants gear, the Street Profits congratulated them. Montez Ford quoted Kanye, Kanye West Barry Bonds, uh, saying they became number one contenders without beating the Profits, who are the best team in WWE. Uh, so the Brutes and Profits had a match. Dawkins hit the double underhook swinging neckbreaker. Butch then caught him on a leapfrog with a great kick right to the jaw. Ford crotch chopped while he was on the top rope and hit an assisted flying blockbuster on Butch. Popped the crowd huge. Dawkins pounced Holland. Ford hit a big tope con hero. The Profits tried another double team, but Butch snapped Ford's fingers and they hit Dawkins with a heel kick power slam for the win. First of all, the Brutes must get a better tag team finisher. They and Hit Row both need better finishers. They're horrible. Now, you had to expect this win to establish the team. And given the Profits are out of the title chase, it wasn't the worst booking to use them here. But with so many tag teams now added to the scene, this just goes to show the titles need to be split again. The tag team division is the strongest it has been in a while, talent-wise. Not just the strongest, the deepest across two shows. They could definitely use the two sets of tag team champions. Uh, but this was good. It was a good match. It continued the building of the Brawling Brutes as baby faces, and all that is a positive. Good match, right result. I couldn't help but think, when was the last time these two won a straight up like normal tag team match? Like I know they they feuded with the New Day forever, right? But they didn't even. But there weren't many matches involved in that. I don't, it was like oh, like that. That's why this match was so important because it was like oh, Ridge Holland and Butch Butch Dunn. As a tag team, I can see it now. Yeah. And that was kind of the first time I could really see it. So I, I thought it, it absolutely accomplished, you know, what it wanted to. It did. Having them on their own without Sheamus, allowing them yeah. to talk, wrestle together, win clean. Those are all things that haven't happened. So, yeah, I, I totally agree with you. Also, um, Pete Dunn or Butch did the finger thing again that I complained about last week. Mm -hmm. And Byron Saxton referred to it as snapping the fingers. Yeah. So it You're wasn't a ligament move, it's snap it. I, I, I just, I don't like it. I just want to follow <laughs> Well, guess what? As long as Pete Dunne is in WWE, you're getting it. So you better get used to it. Uh, let's move to the women's storylines across SmackDown and Raw. And the only reason, we usually try to do these early in the show. The only reason these were pushed back was because there were title matches and extending storylines from all of those feuds, plus the White Rabbits and things. So we're getting to the women late. Apologies. Normally not the case here. Uh, Ronda Rousey sat down for an interview when Liv Morgan quickly interrupted her. Morgan said Rousey says words like, quote, with all due respect, that mean nothing because she has no respect. Rousey countered that Liv isn't due her respect. Liv said she's the only person in the world to beat Ronda twice. And all Rousey can say is the same stuff that Liv's doubters have her whole life. Morgan said she knows her words don't matter, so she'll prove it in the ring. 
in an Extreme Rules match. Rousey called it her funeral and stormed off. I thought doing a taped face-to-face segment was to both of their benefits because they were both strong here. They actually got me more interested in the rematch despite all of our expectations and in some respects concerns that Rousey's just going to take the title. Uh, the stipulation presents an out for her to potentially lose. So I just thought this was good from top to bottom. Yeah, I agree. Not really much more to add. Good step in the right direction. Uh, Bailey fought Raquel Rodriguez on SmackDown. Damage Control hit the ring, bragging about being on both shows as the women's tag team champions, taking out Raquel and putting Aaliyah on the shelf. Apparently she's injured. Bailey said they exemplify greatness, which brought out Raquel to call bullshit and chase them out of the ring. Uh, Raquel threw Io Sky into Dakota Kai outside before the bell. Then she charged at Bailey like a bull and did a spinning front slam. Rodriguez went for her finishing sequence when damage control distracted and Bailey injured her knee into the turnbuckles. Bailey worked the knee. Raquel came back with two fallaway slams, but the heels again distracted as she went for the spinning elbow. Rodriguez slammed Dakota Kai into Bailey and hit the spinning elbow on both of them. But Io raked her eyes when she went for the Tahana bomb and Bailey hit Rose Plant for the win in six plus minutes. The heels attacked after the bell uh, with Shotzi making the save in a baby face turn. So this is what it needed to be. Bailey had to win as Bianca Belair's number one contender. Raquel was a good opponent because she's booked strong and not in the middle of a push. So it was okay for her to lose. Plus she got an obviously excused loss with a three-on-one disadvantage and shifting Shotzi back baby face is the right move. I actually thought she did fine as a heel, but she was hardly on TV. So we never really got to enjoy it. She's definitely a more natural face and she's going to excel in that role. The only thing I'd have liked is a couple more minutes of action because Bailey and Raquel are both important wrestlers. It was the only women's match on the show. Why, if it's going to be six plus, why can't you give us eight, nine, 10 minutes? It doesn't really make sense to me, but I did think it was good all around. Yes, this was good. I have a larger point about damage control, but I'll I'll wait till the main event segment of Raw to, to get to it. All right, yeah, we'll keep going over to Raw. Damage control arrived in a limo for a championship celebration. Bailey drove her team out in a golf cart to massive pyros, streamers, and balloons. She got a great ovation being a local product from San Jose. Dakota Kai said Bianca Belair has been phoning it in, and Alexa Bliss acts like she got a lobotomy in therapy. They and Asuka interrupted to teach them respect. Bailey said Bliss was a shell of herself. Alexa actually said, you're right, and wished she could torment Bailey like she used to, but settled on beating her ass instead. She threw Lily down and punched Bailey. Bliss later got a video package ahead of the match. So we got Bliss versus Bailey. This main evented Raw. Bliss cannonballed Bailey from off the announce table. The lights flickered during the match. As I said earlier, may have been another Bray Wyatt tease, appropriate given the promo in the segment that I just discussed a second ago. Bailey later caught her with Bailey to Belly for a near fall. She tried to cheat using the ropes for a pinfall, but Belair pushed her feet off. Damage control ran Belair into the post and avoided Asuka, who hit a hip attack clean into the steel steps that had to have hurt to some degree. Uh, Bliss hit her DDT, but didn't bother to cover, even though she uses it sometimes as her finisher. I thought that was weird. She instead went for Twisted Bliss when Io chopped her leg out and Bailey caught her with Roseplant for the win in 16 minutes. Damage Control attacked after the bell. They helped Io hit a springboard moonsault on Asuka. Belair cleaned house only to eat a triple team, plus a huge forearm and a Roseplant from Bailey. Then Bailey grabbed the mic saying, she is in full control and wants the title on the line at Extreme Rules. And that is going to be a horror show. <laughs> How do you like that? Huh? I bet you guys thought that drop was gone. It is not. It is Extreme Rules. <laughs> it is not a horror show, though. This is a good booking. I thought it was a really strong way to continue building Bailey, having her beat someone who could eat the L without harm. Contrast this with the SmackDown match. And you're talking about 
a bout that was nearly three times as long and at least twice as good. And that's with Alexa Bliss in it. A women's match like this excuses there only being one on the show. It was the main event. It was 16 minutes. But a six-minute match on a two-hour SmackDown and only two women's matches all week, especially when you now have three titles, it's just disappointing. Still, this extended segment was quite good, both in the ring and showing Damage Control's growing dominance as a group. This is probably the most I've ever believed in them. It was also the most fluid yes. that they've worked to this point. So a double good here. That's it. Go ahead. That is exactly what I was going to ah, say. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to steal your thunder. My well, be, be, because I, I, I watched SmackDown right before Raw, so they kind of blurred together for me. But when Damage Control came out and cut that promo in the ring, I realized, like, they're missing something. They they all only speak in sarcasm, and it feels like they're doing a gimmick. Like, it feels like they're tr- being fake. It feels like, and I know that's what Heel Bailey was, but it feels like it's three Heel Baileys. And it just, it was, like, I don't fear them. They're just kind of annoying. Mm-hmm. And so when, the, but with the way Raw ended, and Bailey getting uh, getting a lot more serious and the two of them beating somebody down and acting tough, that was it. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's it. That's what damage control needed right there. Exactly. That's what they were missing. And to your point right there, now it feels like they feel more just legitimate, a group to fear, powerful, whatever have you, what have you. That what was missing. So I'm glad we got that at the end of Raw because I realized damage control wasn't really clicking for me. Because it was just not stop sarcasm, which is often a problem in with all WWE heels. That's all Seth Rollins is a lot, and and, and so I'm glad they added to it at the end of Raw. Yeah, not much more needs to be said. You absolutely nailed it there. Uh, Kevin Owens had a match scheduled with Austin Theory. After attacking KO before the bell, Theory took a beating for a while. Theory countered a stunner. KO climbed to the top rope as fans chanted "Who's your daddy?" at Theory. Owens stopped climbing and yelled. I'm his daddy, which I thought was really funny. A great moment with the crowd. And by the way, San Jose, good crowd. And I forgot where SmackDown was, but both shows. Raw and SmackDown, very good crowds this week. I forgot to give them credit. Uh, Owens missed a jump springboard moonsault. Theory came back with a great rolling blockbuster and knee backbreaker for a few near falls. When Johnny Gargano entered ringside and grabbed the Money in the Bank briefcase off the apron, just as Theory was about to grab it and use it. Distracted, Theory ate a running cannonball and a pop-up powerbomb as Owens won in 13 minutes. After the bell, Gargano dropped the briefcase straight onto Theory's crotch. Another solid Raw match. At first, I was going to criticize using Gargano to soften Theory's loss, but then I saw the replay with Theory going for the briefcase, so it did make sense. Like with Lashley and Rollins earlier, the babyface that came down didn't interfere until the heel cheated or was going to cheat. This match, though, it did feel a bit repetitive. Hopefully, this is the end of the short KO feud with Theory. It seems like it potentially is. And the wrestling was also strong here. I I told you guys I'm not grading every match anymore on TV, but this was 3.75 stars B+. It was really, really good. Yeah, very good match. Again, the the finish makes sense that you don't want to necessarily give a loss to either of them. But this was, again, the second, I think, part on the show where the, the faces kind of interfere to win. And look, I know it's not directly distraction interference. It's preventing the heel from cheating to win but it felt repetitive on the same show. And I was kind of surprised that happened. It did. Well, that's what I was going to say. The wrestling on Raw was actually really strong on Monday. I think the shortest match was this one at 13 minutes. But every single match on Raw 
ended with either a distraction or an interference finish. All of them. And it's okay if you do that for two matches, but four or five in one show, you got to give us some more variety in, in finishes. That just, that can't happen every week. Yes. That's kind of an old thing that would happen under WWE sometimes or under Vince sometimes. Very like, wait, did they not? Did they not? And AEW currently has this problem too, which is very like, wait, every match is ending the same. How did you not like see this ahead of time? Yeah, you're right. It does happen with AEW. It did happen in the Attitude Era all the time. Very reminiscent of that. Uh, later backstage, Alpha Academy confronted Gargano saying Theory had strength in numbers because they had his back. Owen stepped up to get Gargano's back. And Chad Gable made a tag team challenge for next week. KO was thrilled because Raw is in Canada next week, Edmonton. Uh, Gable tried to switch it to Minnesota in two weeks, which is, I think, where he's from. Uh, But Gargano shooshed him to end the segment. I thought it was just good, fun stuff here. By the way, Owens and Gargano, they actually used to be a tag team briefly on the independents called Panda Express back in the day. So they should have some good chemistry here. I'm expecting a really good match next week. Yeah, I really like the segment. I like that Chad Gable basically came back and stood up to Gargano after losing to him a couple weeks ago or whatever. Like Mm -hmm. he, he came across strong in making this challenge and I'm excited for the match. So yeah, it was fun. Now this is adjacent to alpha Academy. It actually happened before, but look, Kevin Owens and Johnny Gargano and Austin theory are more important than what we got here, which was Max and Maxine Dupree introduced the maximum male models back to school collection. If you remember last week, I played the unaired promo where Max paused before saying night and then dropped a yeah. Well, he teased his old gimmick again here by pausing when he realized that Anaheim was extremely close to LA. Uh, The models came out in hysterical school gear, I have to say. Only for Strowman, his music to hit, they pause like out of a cartoon. They look at the camera with their eyes wide, scared because they hear his music. And he literally runs through the middle of both of them and just destroys them. He then powerbombed Mansois when Alpha Academy's music hit. Chad Gable walked out. Otis attacked Strowman from behind. Shockingly, Otis got up on Braun and picked his ass up clean for a world's strongest slam. They left the ring before Braun sat up Undertaker style, screaming at both guys. Chris I loved this. From the LA night tease to the short back to school deal to Strowman double pouncing the models to Otis actually getting over on Braun. Every mm-hmm. single part of this was booked perfectly. Plus, now next week, we're, or this week, we're getting Strowman versus Otis with Braun, I'm sure, going over. And that's A-OK. Consider me sports entertained. And I'm enjoying what they're doing with Knight. I just hope it doesn't result in MMM going away because they are really working as a load card group right now. Protect yes. the models at all costs. Good. Completely agree. This whole thing was a lot happened in like what was a low card segment turned into kind of a mid card segment. Like that was very cool how it all flowed together. And I don't know if you caught this, but Michael Cole said when they put up the match graphic for Strowman versus Otis, he said, you're going to have to reinforce the ring. <laughs> really? That's amazing. Yes. So... Absolutely going to have to reinforce the ring post next week because the meat's going to be flying. I still miss Samoa Joe in WWE, but yes, they will need to reinforce the ring post and there will absolutely be on Friday night. Let's not get it twisted. I'm finding it. A big meaty man slapping meat. <laughs> That's what I want. 
I did forget that part of the entire thing. This is big meaty men slapping meat ultimate edition, right? Like Otis and Braun Strowman. What else could you want? So this is going to be great. Uh, the Miz with Tommaso Ciampa were in the ring on Raw for a special Miz TV. They called out Dexter Loomis for breaking into his home, threatening his wife and children, and the stress affecting his daughter Madison's Minions-themed birthday party. As Miz started screaming at him on the mic behind him, Loomis sawed a hole out of the carpet of the ring with a hunting knife and stunned Miz by grabbing his leg and pulling him down. Now, Champa saved Miz, and then after he saved him, Champa nearly got pulled down until, I don't know what it was, but he bopped Loomis on the head with something, some type of object, and they ran away, and Loomis was had his head poking out of the ring to end it. This is simultaneously dragging, yet also retaining my attention. I was trying to find like another bad or ugly this week. I just couldn't do it. This was good also. One bad, the rest good in WWE. Yeah, like I give this like a light good because I think you said it right, where it's like it is kind of dragging and not going anywhere, but also it is interesting week to week. Like I kept thinking, oh, this isn't like Kane dragging Daniel Bryan under the ring. He's taking him to hell. No, he's going to murder him. Cave, yeah. You can cave him <laughs> away. Like, was he just going to murder him underneath the ring? I don't know. Like, it, so that was odd. And then respect to Corey Graves, who when they after that or came back from commercial or something was like, can we go back to this for a minute? Like this, this was another attempted kidnapping. The, like the Miz is in trouble. What is going on? And Jimmy Smith and Saxon were like, whatever, man. <laughs> Like, it's like, it's weird, but it's also funny at the same time. It's entertaining. And, you know, if it continues to drag on for an extended period, then, okay, maybe it'll start turning bad. I kind of feel like I gave it a bad, not last week, but the week before, because I did like what they did last week, I, I think. But it's just good. I mean, and I got to say, the only bad I gave WWE this week, you disagreed with me on. So you, I think, what, you're at 100% batting 1,000? All good? I believe so. This was a light good. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, no, I mean, look on this show and anyone who's listened to us long term, there have been many weeks where the majority, the vast majority of this segment have been bads and uglies for WWE. But this week, just top to bottom, I do have to say, Chris, I was sports entertained. I was entertained as a wrestling fan. My mind was peaked about potential storylines and gimmicks and characters and things that are happening going forward. And of course, yes, we did discuss, you know, the Roman Reigns and Logan Paul booking, but in the greater context of this bloodline, long-term storyline, it's just WWE right now, more than it has in a long, long time, it seems to be hitting on all cylinders. And we here at the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast are extremely excited to be able to bring you this breakdown every single week. Now, that said, we do have another show coming this week on Thursday. We will be back talking NXT and AEW. AEW, of course, they will do Dynamite Grand Slam on Wednesday. They will also do a two-hour Rampage Grand Slam on Friday. If I'm not watching SmackDown until it's taped, I'm probably not going to watch Rampage Grand Slam until like Wednesday afternoon before the next Dynamite. Uh, But on Thursday's show, we will have a full breakdown of AEW Grand Slam and NXT, which looks to be the first non 2.0 show or it seems like there's two weeks of transitional shows between NXT 2.0 with all the colors and NXT white and gold, which looks to be the third, if you want to call it incarnation of NXT. There's been more than that technically, but 
regardless. Um, this past week in promoting the show, they had the multicolored graphics with the new logo. Both episodes were taped. I presume they're either moving to full sale or they're rebuilding the performance center to represent the change in NXT. So the next two weeks, I think, are kind of in between shows, meshing the two styles together. And then three weeks from now, we will get the new NXT or whatever that is going to be. So look out for that on Thursday, our AEW and NXT show. And of course, we will be back one week from now, same bat time, same bat channel here with your next WWE edition of the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. Please do not forget that this show, every week, every episode, So head on over to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Drop those five-star ratings on Apple. Please go ahead, leave us a written review. Tell everyone why you love the show and why they should listen. And do not forget to follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. Thank you, Chris, once again for joining us. It is now time for the Silver King to sign off and leave you with just three final words. Bye for now.